Good morning. As always, it is great to see you this morning, and it's even better to be with you this morning. Glad that you're here. I'm glad that I'm here. Um, if you're a guest of ours, we want you to know that you are our honored guests. I want to begin this morning with some words from the Gospel of Matthew. Words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. If you're tired, if you're tired from carrying heavy burdens, come to me and I'll give you rest. Question this morning. Anybody in here tired? Anyone? Anyone feel like, man, I'm carrying some burdens, like some heavy, anyone in here carrying heavy burdens? Anyone in here kind of stressed out today? Now, I heard someone define stress as when you wake up screaming and realize you hadn't gone to sleep yet. Yeah, sure. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I'll give you a better way to live your life. And doesn't that sound really compelling? Even if you're not a church person, even if you're not a Jesus person, doesn't Jesus' invitation sound incredibly enticing? If you are weary, if you are worn out, if you are stressed out, come to me and I'll give you rest. And yet, we all know there's a little bit of a paradox going on with this invitation. Because we understand that this new way of life that Jesus is offering, also, although it's going to be a little bit different, might be a little bit difficult. If you know the rest of that passage, and I know most of you do, Jesus doesn't promise no burdens. He just promises lighter burdens. And yet sometimes the light burden can even seem tiresome and painful and a little bit difficult. Because when we talk about learning from Jesus, and I've said this many times before, Jesus never teaches for the sake of information. Jesus always teaches for the sake of transformation. Jesus isn't trying to share with us just some, some new concept or some new idea or some new way of looking at things. He's always teaching to try to get us to change our lives, to try to get us to live a different kind of life, a, a better kind of life. And as soon as we start talking about real, honest-to-goodness change, we all get a little bit nervous because change is usually a little bit uncomfortable at best and incredibly painful at worst. We're in this series that I'm calling Meant for More, and we keep asking the question, how do we grow spiritually? How do we mature spiritually? It was just, that's just a church phrase for how do we grow? How do we change? Okay? How do we go about changing? Remember I said a couple weeks ago, God doesn't want a different you. He wants a better you. He wants the you that you were created to be we talked about the fact that's a pretty neat thing, really. And that growth, that process, that, that change, sometimes it's kind of slower than we would like it to be. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult. Sometimes it might even be painful or frustrating. Have you ever felt that as much as you would like to see it, as much as you would like to experience it, as, as much as you long for like spiritual growth, have you ever felt like you're just kind of stuck spiritually? You know, maybe today you're riding this wave of, man, I am, I am on fire. But maybe you're, mm, I don't know, I just kind of feel like I'm, I'm stuck. 
Back in my youth ministry days, Martha and I were here at the building one Saturday with some teenagers, and they found one of those big industrial size uh, saran wrap rolls. Those big things come from Sam's or something. What do you think a bunch of teenagers did with a giant roll of saran wrap? It took about 15 seconds before they started wrapping each other up in it. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that before, and I can't imagine why you would ever do that, but it is amazing how quickly a little bit of plastic wrap wrapped around somebody can incapacitate them. I mean, just a couple loops around somebody, and you are stuck. You are not moving. You know, you think you can work your way out of it. You, you think you can, you can get uh, wrapped, uh, unwrapped, but you can't. In fact, they went upstairs in the, in the youth room, and they saran-wrapped some kid to a chair. And he was stuck. I mean, he was staying there. He was trying to get out. He could not. He didn't get out until I went up there with a pair of scissors and cut him out a couple days later. <laughs> it wasn't a couple days later, but it was a while. I mean, he wasn't getting out. You know, we think about the things that we get stuck in. Things in our lives that we get so wrapped up in. And at first glance, they seem so harmless, don't they? Almost invisible, like that little piece of plastic. Seem like um, so safe. How could something so simple get us so stuck? But it doesn't take long before we get wrapped up in things so tightly that we can't escape. Now, we've been talking in this series quite a bit about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in, in our spiritual maturity. And for several weeks, I keep bumping up against uh, Galatians 5.22, fruits of the Spirit, or love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And we know that verse. We love that verse. We like to talk about that verse. I like to talk about that verse. You know, Paul is a master at, at stringing together lists. And his lists are always so powerful. And there's so much in there. And we read those fruits of the Spirit and we say, wow, we could just spend you know, months talking about that. But there's another list right before the fruits of the Spirit that Paul uh, will share with us. And it's pretty powerful as well. We don't talk about it quite as much, but, but it's important. Galatians 5.19 when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't have to tell you how easy it is to get stuck in some sin. And it happens so quickly. Again, we think this particular activity or this attitude or this behavior, no, no big deal. It's not going to hurt anyone. I can handle it. But before we know it, we get wrapped up in something that we can't control. And you think you can work your way out of it. You think you can do it on your own, but just like that kid upstairs that was wrapped up in that chair, you're not getting out. Not by yourself. Your, your try harder isn't going to do it. 
We need help. We need God. We need God's strength. We need God's will. We, we need God's grace. Now, God has promised all of that. But as you read His Word, it's always also pretty clear that we have something to do with that too. We have some responsibility in this thing. We have a role to play as well. And I want to try to sharpen this with, uh, with an example from my childhood. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right up front, this is a very painful memory for me. When I was in the, the fifth grade, we had a music teacher named Miss Lentz. Miss Lentz decided that she was going to teach all of us fifth graders how to square dance. Now, there's a couple problems for me right there. Uh, first, in the fifth grade, I had absolutely no rhythm. I mean, none. I don't have any now, but it was even worse in the fifth grade. So this was like a recipe for disaster right off the bat. But even more than that, when I was in the fifth grade, all the girls, I don't know how it was in your little school, but all the girls in my little elementary school, all the girls had cooties. <laughs> they, they were covered in cooties. I mean, it wasn't until like ninth or tenth grade till I started realizing, hey, they're gone. But in the fifth grade, I wasn't dancing with a girl. None of us guys were going to dance with a girl. On top of that, in the fifth grade, I was like four and a half feet tall, and the girls were all six and a half feet tall. I mean, they all outweighed me by a hundred pounds, so I'm not dancing with a girl. Now, here's what I found out. You actually can square dance and never touch a girl. You can't get an A in the class. <laughs> but you can do it. You can maybe get a C. But here's what I sort of remember about my, uh, about my square dancing days. And that is not me, by the way. Every dance had a pattern. Every dance had sort of these series of steps. And even though I realized I never did quite get it right, I started to understand, okay, there's a rhythm to this thing. And I need to figure out the rhythm to this dance. Because if I don't figure out the rhythm, I learn pretty quickly, I'm going to be going places that I'm not supposed to be going. I'm going to be doing things I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm going to be running into people that I'm not supposed to be running into if I don't figure out this rhythm. And it's going to be one gigantic frustration for everybody involved. You know, myself, my classmates, Miss Lentz. But then what I also found out is, once I started to figure out the rhythm, believe it or not, square dancing was actually kind of fun. I wouldn't have admitted it then, but we all sort of had fun doing that. Now, here's my application. If you want to grow spiritually, and I know you do, if you want to get unstuck from whatever sin you might be stuck in right now, and I know you do, you have to realize there's a, there's a rhythm to this thing that God's doing. There, there's, there's a dance, so to speak, a movement of how God is working and His grace works in us. And, and I kind of got turned on to this idea reading Eugene Peterson's commentary on the book of Matthew. And he used a phrase that I kind of fell in love with when I first read it. He calls it the unforced rhythm of grace. He talks about the fact that there is an unforced rhythm to God's grace. Now earlier I had uh, Galatians 5.19 on the screen where Paul talked about those things that would exclude us from the kingdom of God. Verse 22 was uh, the fruits of the Spirit. 
If you skip down to verse 25 of Galatians 5, Paul writes, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And if you put those thoughts together, the idea of, okay, there are, there are things that are going to exclude us from God's kingdom, but then there's these wonderful fruits of the Holy Spirit working in us. And then Paul says, if we live, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You put those, all, those thoughts all together, and Paul is sort of saying, there's a rhythm to this thing. We have a role in this thing. We have some responsibilities when it comes to this idea of grace. Yes, God has done, uh, you know, set the table for us, but there's something that we have to do as well. And people have struggled with this for a long time. I struggled with it. There's a group of Christians in Rome that were struggling with it. Paul writes to them in Romans chapter 5. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul says there is this rhythm to the grace that we talk about. We can't continually, willfully sin and then just sort of expect God to shower us with grace, wipe the slate clean so I can keep doing the same thing I've been doing. In fact, Paul's going to use most of chapter 6 of Romans to explain that that kind of thinking and that strategy is not living in step with the Spirit. Yes, God has promised grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But we've got to put ourselves in a position to accept the grace of God. Now, in the time I got left this morning, I, I, I want to look at... Uh, Look at some writing from an Old Testament guy that I think sort of speaks to this concept that we're talking about here in the New Testament. And I'm going back to, I guess, my favorite guy in the Old Testament, King David. Because I think David is a guy who started to understand this rhythm to God's grace. You know, he's the only man in Scripture that's referred to as being a man after God's own heart. Pretty high praise. But David also knew quite a bit about sin. Now, if you know the story of David, you know he got wrapped up in his own ego. He got wrapped up in his own ambitions. He got wrapped up in lust. He, he took a, a wife that belonged to another man, which led to betrayal, which led to taking the life of another man. And David found himself stuck. And David knew, there's no sacrifice that I can offer that's going to fix this. David knew my only recourse really is to just to fall before God, to pour my heart out to God, try to better understand this, this dance of grace. And that's exactly what David does. And thankfully for us, he wrote it down. We know it is Psalm 51. Listen to some of the things that David says in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And then skip down to verse 10. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what are these unforced rhythms of grace? What are the steps? What are the movements? What do I need to be aware of to, to, to sort of do my part as God does his part? And I think the first thing that David talks about in, in, in Psalm uh, that we just read here is the need to recognize my own sin. I need to recognize my sin. You know, as David opens this psalm, he's really straightforward. And he is really honest, very direct. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. He doesn't say my sin is sometimes before me. He doesn't say often. You know, on Sundays when I'm convicted, my sin is always before me. David understands, if I want God to get real with me, I'm going to have to get real with God. And he doesn't try to sidestep what's going on in his life. He is brutally honest with God. God, I'm a sinner. I know it. You know it. My life does not look like I want my life to look right now. Now, you might think that this first step, recognition of sin, you might think that nobody really has a problem with that. You might think, well, everybody gets that. You would be wrong. In fact, I think this is the step that most people miss. Because Satan has done such a great job for such a long time of using the strategy of convincing us that, you know what, I'm not going to call it sin, it's just shortcomings or mistakes. And it's really not that big of a deal. Satan wants us to believe that we can, we can cover it up. We can dismiss it. We can rationalize it. We can think of it as unimportant. But God doesn't let David get away with that. The first step in the process is to recognize our sin. You know, we, we have to name it. We just have to be honest. Back in Galatians 5.19, that list of things that will exclude us from the kingdom, you know, Paul starts off and we read things like idolatry and sorcery and debauchery, don't even know what that means, you know, and uh, wild parties. And we think, well, that's not me. This is good. I'm one of the good guys. And then he goes on and lists impure thoughts, lust, quarreling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, elitism, drunkenness, selfishness. Oh man, anybody else struggling with any of those things in here this morning? Yeah, now Paul's talking to me, right? You know, God calls us to be very real about what's going on in our life. And without that first step, without the recognition of sin, we're never going to uh, appreciate and be blessed by what the next step is. See, the great thing about God, and David knew it, without the recognition of sin, there's not going to be any repentance of sin. 
Remember David's words, a broken and contrite heart you will never despise. God's not going to ignore a broken heart. God's not going to reject a broken and contrite heart. And again, I like the way Eugene Peterson put it when he wrote about the life of David. He said, David's sin, enormous as it was, was wildly outdone by God's forgiveness. David's sin, as enormous as it was, was wildly outdone by God's forgiveness. Now, we can't marginalize, we can't minimize David's sin. The point is just, it is minuscule in comparison to the forgiveness of God. Okay, we, we recognize our sin, we, we repent of that sin, and then David says that we can get the joy, 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 joy back in our heart. Remember when you were a kid, you had the joy, 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 joy down in your heart? Remember that? Now, it seemed like when we were a kid, everything made us feel good. It was easy to find joy when you were a kid. But once you grow up and you start living life, boy, that real honest-to-goodness joy, it becomes a very elusive thing. That's why David turned back to God. Verse 12, As you restore to me the joy of your salvation, and notice the next thing he says, because we miss it. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Don't miss the second half of that uh, prayer. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's not in the song that we sing, so, so we don't think about it as much. But this is one reason why I love David quite like I do. David doesn't make any false promises about what's next. He's praying for his heart and for his spirit. He doesn't say, okay, God, thank you. You know, you put me back on the right track. I got it from here. I will never again do what I just did. I'll never be in this situation again. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. You know, see you later. David doesn't do that. He doesn't make that mistake. And neither should we. Because we all continually fall short of the glory of God. We all continue to sin. What David does pray for is a willing spirit. He prays for the desire he prays for the, the want to be aligned with the heart and the will of God. David desperately wants to get it right. And you've got to want to get it right. Or you're never going to be able to sustain God's Spirit at work within you. Remember back in John chapter 5, Jesus meets a guy who's been paralyzed for like four decades. And Jesus asked the guy the question, Do you want to get well? And we first read that and we think, how insensitive a question could that possibly be? But of course, it's exactly the right question to ask. And if you remember, the guy never really does give Jesus an answer. You know, we're talking about growth, spiritual growth. And again, let me be very clear. Don't misunderstand me on this. It is a great thing to read your Bible. You've got to be in it more. It's a wonderful thing to be a person of prayer. We need to be praying much more than we do. It's a fantastic thing to be serving other people. But if in your heart, if in the deepest part of your being, you don't really want to be transformed, you don't really want God to change anything about you, He never will. You won't really grow. And you won't experience that joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Now, you might do some good things. 
and you might be you know, impressive to a lot of people, but if you don't have a willing spirit, if you don't desperately want to get it right, to turn your will over to God's will and allow Him to work in your life and allow His Spirit to move in your life, you won't change. We need a willing spirit to learn these new rhythms of grace. And then one last thing that David teaches us in Psalm 51 is we get to pass this grace on to others. David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. David says, I'm going to help other people who are struggling with the same things I'm struggling with. I'm going to help other sinners turn back to you. In the New Testament, Peter would say very much the same thing this way. God has given gifts to each of you from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. We've all been blessed by God. Use those blessings so that God's generosity, not ours, not because we're so good, but because God's generosity, allow that to flow through you. So now I don't just receive this forgiveness. I don't just receive this grace. I get to pass it on. I get to, I get to help other people receive and share and experience the same thing. You know, if you've been paying attention here these last couple of weeks, I keep coming back to this same verse in John chapter 7 where Jesus stands up on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles and says, If anyone is thirsty, if anyone out there has unfulfilled desires, if anyone is sort of yearning for something, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit. As we start to get a handle on these rhythms of God's grace, I think we become better stewards of God's grace. I think we're more apt to come to Jesus and drink. Streams of living water do begin flowing from within. Now David began to turn outward, learning new things about God and how God deals with sin and as he recognized his sin, as he repented of that sin, as he longed for that joy to be restored. And he said, you know what? I'm going to point other people towards the Lord as well. I'm convinced it's impossible to really experience the work of God in us if we don't allow his Holy Spirit to work through us. We are not a cul-de-sac when it comes to information and when it comes to uh, the, the blessings of God. We're meant to share. We're, we're an on-ramp, right? We're introducing people, as Bert said, we're introducing people to the Lord. It's a process. We're always in this process. We, ne we never quite arrive. It's never quite finished. It's always this dance that we're learning. But this morning, I hope you can find whatever step of that dance that you need to find. Now, maybe it's something that we talked about this morning. Maybe it's just time for you to get really honest with yourself and with God about what's going on in your life. That there are some habits and there's some behavior that, is, that you know is outside of the will of God. You need to stop rationalizing that. You need to call it what it is. It's sin. Then you need to repent of that sin. Because God has promised through the blood of Jesus, He'll forgive us of those sins. And He'll restore 
that joy that we all so desperately long for. We can become better stewards of the grace that we've been uh, given. Wherever you might be in this dance, I don't want you to forget, however, who your dance partner is. Who's leading this thing? No, it's Jesus. Jesus is in control. Jesus is, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our, our precious Lord. And Jesus is at His best when we are at our worst. And it's Jesus who stands up and shouts, If anyone's thirsty, come to Me. It's Jesus who says, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy, heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. Doesn't that sound fascinating? Doesn't that sound incredibly compelling? We are truly meant for more. We're meant to grow spiritually. We're meant to live in step with the Spirit. And yeah, it's change. Change is hard. And change is difficult. But God has promised us, I have the best in in, in my heart for you. God has promised us over and over again, I know what I'm doing. Why don't you trust me? Why don't you do it my way? Now, wherever you might be in that dance this morning, you know, maybe you're just beginning, not even sure how it goes, not even sure what questions to ask. Jesus says, come to me. Just come to me. Why wouldn't you try Jesus? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you come to Jesus? You tried everything else. Why wouldn't you just... Today, come to Jesus. Let's stand and sing.